All right, everyone, we want to welcome you to our afternoon seminar in this uh, particular tract about sharing the three angels messages. And I am so glad and uh, happy to introduce our presenter to you, Pastor Doug Batchelor, uh, president of Amazing Facts. And we just are so appreciative, Pastor Doug, that you are with us to share this important message about calling people out of Babylon. Powerful message. I'm really personally looking forward to it in uh, a great way. We want to again welcome all of you who are online joining us. We want to encourage you to invite your friends. They need to register. So have them go to asiministries.org, register for this virtual convention, and then they can join us. And we have a couple of poll questions at the very beginning. We want to know where you're watching from. And if you have questions during the presentation, you can just put those in the chat box and we'll get to those as time permits at the end. So I'm gonna open up one of the polls at this time. Uh, and we're going to ask where you are watching from. We want to know where you're watching from. So the poll is now open. You should be able to see on your screen, you have two options. There's a chat option and a poll option. So look under the polls, you'll see, you can choose North America, South America, Europe, Asia, Africa, or Oceania. And so we want to know where you're watching from. We'll give that just a little bit of time for you to respond. And uh, in the meantime, I would like to pray that God will bless uh, this presentation. So please bow your heads with me as we pray. Father in heaven, we are so thankful for your love. We're thankful for Jesus Christ and for the amazing opportunity that we have to live at this time in earth's history. We are so thankful that you have also uh, given us a clear understanding of the three angels' messages and you have empowered us to share it with the world. I pray that you will be with everyone who's joined us and that you'll be with Pastor Doug as he shares that we all might be encouraged and inspired to a higher level of service for you and a deeper infilling of your spirit. Again, we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Right, everyone, we're going to close the poll and find out where our audience is from so let's see wow everyone's from north america we need to invite our friends from around the world uh to join us as well we have one more poll question and then i'm going to turn the time over uh to you pastor doug mm -hmm. so the next question that we have is where are the majority of genuine Christians? You should see that poll question live right now. And there are two answers that you can choose from. Inside the Adventist church or outside the Adventist church? We want to know uh, what you're thinking today. So we'll give you just a few minutes. Simple question. Just click on polls and answer that. Where are the majority of genuine Christians. All right, I'm going to close this poll now. So everyone make your last minute choice. We're going to close that. And 
the majority of people who answered this poll, 75% said that they are outside of the Adventist church. So Pastor Doug, that's your audience today. Please lead us through this uh, very important study. And thank you again for being with us. Well, thank you so much, Brother Rodney. I want to welcome everybody. Uh, right now we are, in case you want the context, uh, I am broadcasting from or Zooming from the amazing facts, the new offices that are above Rockland. I'll take my little camera here and give you a little virtual tour. So uh, it's a beautiful place that kind of on the edge of the uh, uh, Sacramento Valley, uh, just kind of overlooking the Sierras. And so it's a, it's a great spot. I was a little worried about doing it at home because uh, now with the pandemic, sometimes there could be several people in the house and wanted to make sure that uh, we were able to do this without uh, too many distractions. Uh, when I was invited to participate with ASI, uh, I asked if I could talk about this subject, knowing that the context of our studies is dealing with the three angels' messages. And maybe it'd be a good idea to begin by reading through what those messages are and then highlighting, of course, what I'm going to be talking about, which is the second angel's message, talking about Babylon and coming out of Babylon. Of course, if you go to Revelation chapter 14 and you read in verse 6, it says, Then I saw an angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. So this is a message that's to go to every tribe. That didn't just mean the tribes of Israel. That meant the pagans as well. Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him that made the earth and the sea and the springs of water. One of the things that distinguished the God of Israel from the other pagan gods, the Jews said, this is the God that made everything all the other gods are made out of. You remember when the sailors asked Jonah, you know, well, who are you and where are you from? He said, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the God that made the heaven and the earth and the sea. And, um, and so it's calling us back to the Jehovah creator in this verse. And then verse 8, and I heard another angel, this is the second angel now, that followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she's made all nations drink the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And then the third angel followed them with a loud voice saying, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark in his forehead or on his hand, he himself will also drink of the wine of the wrath of God that is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation, he will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast in his image and whoever receives the mark of his name. Then it directs our attention. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Contrasting, uh, those who worship the beast with those who worship God. One keeps the commandments of the beast. One keeps the commandments of God. And so, I, you know, the reason that it is so important for us to get the message to call people out of Babylon is because you see what the terrible judgment is that falls on people who don't come out of Babylon. And so, again, the second angel's message, Babylon has fallen, come out of her, my people. This is reiterated in Revelation 18. I just want to read this. So we kind of have the groundwork before we dive in. In Revelation 18, I'll read first maybe four verses here. 
After these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become the dwelling place of demons, and a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Of course, it talks about what that wine is in chapter 17. She holds in her hand a golden cup full of it's the blood of the saints and the martyrs and the wine of false doctrine. And um, the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, lest you share of her sins and you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. And so we'll, that gives us a background there. Now, this second angel's message, you notice, is not only there in Revelation 14, but the second angel's message is expanded on in Revelation 18, meaning immediately prior to the judgment that falls on Babylon and prior to the mark of the beast, there's a great uh, reiteration, an amplification of the second angel's message. Now, in order to understand who it is being called out of Babylon, we've got to take a moment and talk about what is Babylon? Why does the Bible tell us this? Well, you know, you first find Babylon mentioned in uh, Genesis, where it talks about the Tower of Babel. Matter of fact, even before that, you can read about Nimrod, the mighty hunter. And uh, he was a mighty hunter. And the word there, it, it actually says against God. So many have thought Nimrod was there, the, the king, the leader, who is sort of uh, mobilizing everyone to build the Tower of Babel. And it says the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Now, the word Babel means gate of God. The word has grown over the years to be associated with Babylon because of what happened at the Tower of Babel. And if you, the reason in English we call a word a baby is because babies babble. And um, that's, you know, otherwise it was called an infant. And so um, that takes us to the story of what happened. All the world was of one tongue. And after the flood and people began to multiply, they found their way down to the, the valley of Sinar, where Babylon is, modern Iraq. It was a lot more fertile and lush back then. And they didn't want to get scattered. They wanted to have strength by consolidation. And uh, they didn't necessarily believe God would not destroy the world again with a flood. So they said, uh, we better do something to save ourselves. So one of the keys of Babylon, it's salvation by works or man-made salvation and they said let us make a name for ourselves they're not interested in glorifying the name of god they want to make a name for themselves so here you've got the contrast between god worship and man worship god worship seventh day man was created on the sixth day and so that's kind of man worship and it says it'll be a, a monument to continue disobedience uh, they had been told to go scatter and fill the earth. They didn't want to do that. It's a monument to human wisdom and technology, a monument to disbelief in God's word, and it was a counterfeit for the kingdom of heaven. Through the Bible, you're going to find that you've got these uh, two beautiful capitals that are in contrast. You've got Babylon, which was a glorious golden kingdom at its zenith during the time of Nebuchadnezzar. Then you've got Jerusalem, especially during the time of Solomon, which was another glorious beautiful kingdom and um, it seems like there's two kingdoms in conflict well now we're not dealing with the literal jerusalem 
and we're not dealing with a literal Babylon. Now in Revelation, we're talking about the New Jerusalem, and we're talking about spiritual Babylon. To understand what this means, you have to go back. There are um, a couple of times that God calls his people out of Babylon. Now you notice this is Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Why does it repeat that twice? Children of Israel were carried off into Babylon uh, during the time of King Nebuchadnezzar, when Zedekiah was the king of Judea because of their unfaithfulness. Of course, Daniel was there during that time. He wrote his books and uh, Ezekiel lived. He was a contemporary, a little after Daniel. And um, ultimately after the 70 years of captivity, Cyrus, the Persian king, said that they could go home. But after 70 years living anywhere, you get comfortable, you learn the language, you make friends, you become settled in. Uh, you know, if you live in one house for 20 years, you accumulate a lot of stuff. Imagine after 70 years, it's a whole lifetime, several generations. And when God said, we're gonna let you go back to Israel, God's land, the land he gave Abraham. And you're thinking, well, last time I saw that it was all broken down. And you know, this isn't such a bad place. They got shopping malls here and they didn't wanna leave. Many of God's people stayed in Babylon. You know, you had uh, a few different parades that left Babylon during the time of Ezra, Nehemiah, and um, some came back with um, Joshua the high priest in the time of Zerubbabel. But um, a lot of the people stayed behind. Ultimately, there was a message through Ezekiel and others, Babylon has fallen, come out. Now you can read, Isaiah foretold this. And if you look in Isaiah 21, verse nine, he says, Babylon is fallen, is fallen. And all the carved images of her gods has broken to the ground. God knew if his people stayed in Babylon, they were going to be influenced by the, the pagan customs and religion of Babylon. So he said they were to come out of Babylon, but they were slow and reluctant in doing this. You can remember also in the Bible, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they all brought their wives out of Mesopotamia, this, you know, the area where the Tower of Babel was, into the Promised Land. And they came out by faith. By faith, Abraham heard, heard the call. Then when it came time for Isaac to get married, Abraham said to Eliezer's priest, don't let Isaac marry one of the local girls like Esau later did, and it broke the hearts of uh, Rebekah and um, Isaac. He said, um, go back and find one of the girls that still believes in Jehovah. And Eliezer goes and he finds Rebekah, brings her out into the promised land. Then when Jacob comes to get married, uh, Isaac and Rebekah send Jacob back and say, don't marry one of the local girls like Esau did, go back and bring your bride out of Babylon. So notice that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the patriarchs all brought their brides out of Babylon. The church is the bride of Christ. He calls her out of Babylon into the promised land. This is part of the call that you're seeing happen here in Revelation. So you've got that history. God is continually calling his people out of Babylon. Babylon in the Bible, it becomes sort of a symbol for the world and for man-made religion and for salvation by works. And so God is wanting to call his people out of Babylon during that time. And uh, when, when it talks about Babylon here, um, <laughs> sometimes Babylon planted people in Israel. 
Now, you know, you'll hear people that will accuse the church of being Babylon. The church is not Babylon. But sometimes there are some Babylonians that get planted in the church. You can see that happened in the Bible. You look in 2 Kings 17, verse 24. Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon. That says he placed them in the cities of Samaria. That's the northern kingdom of Israel instead of the kingdom of Israel. And so through the the uh, Israelites' association with some of the Babylonians, they compromised the religion, and that's where you ended up with Samaritans. And that's why the Jews and the Samaritans never really got along, because they said, you have corrupted the teachings of Scripture with Babylonian theology, and you've commingled Babylonian theology with the Bible. Well, this is what happens during the Dark Ages with Christianity. It becomes commingled with, well, the Greco-Roman religions. And the Greco-Roman religions, you can just see how the religion of Babylon influenced the religion of the Medo-Persians, which influenced the religion of the Greeks, which influenced the religion of the Romans, which clearly influenced the religions of the world today. A book you might read if you've got some spare time during the pandemic is called The Two Babylons by Dr. Hislop. Anyway, and so Babylon now is speaking about something spiritual. God said the children of Israel would be allowed to come out of Babylon after that 70 years of captivity. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit and perform my good word towards you and cause you to return to this place. That's Jeremiah 29, verse 10. And, um, you know, it's also interesting. The reason they spent 70 years in Babylon is because um, they had been neglecting to keep the Sabbaths, not only the weekly Sabbath, but the Sabbath, the, every seven years, they were supposed to let the land keep Sabbath and rest. And you can read in the end of Second Chronicles, when the children of Israel are carried off to Babylon, God said the land would be desolate for 70 years. God would cause it to keep Sabbath, basically for the uh, 490 years that they had neglected to allow the land to keep Sabbath. And so uh, don't miss the connection between part of their judgment was neglect of the Sabbath truth along with um, compromising with the nations around them. And so when it talks about Babylon, we read that Babylon was never gonna be rebuilt. It's not talking about the ancient city. That city was destroyed by uh, the Persians. Well, it was conquered by the Persians. But then ancient Babylon ultimately was, you know, a lot of it was burnt during the time of Alexander the Great. It fell into disrepair. And this had all been foretold by Isaiah. Now, listen carefully to this, because you're going to meet evangelicals, Christians in other churches. They think the prophecies in Revelation about Babylon are talking about literal Babylon being rebuilt and being some kind of a world power. And especially when Saddam Hussein was still active, well, they were much exercised about this. A lot of evangelicals were preaching about the reemergence of the ancient kingdom of Babylon. That is not what it's talking about. You can read, for example, in uh, Isaiah chapter 13. Notice this. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldeans' pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited, nor will it be settled from generation to generation, nor will the Arabian pitch his tents there, nor will the shepherds make their sheepfolds there. Well, if you look at the ancient city of Babylon, it's still in ruins today. 
Nebuchadnezzar tried to restore part of it as a tourist destination, but um, it all fell apart with the Gulf War and, of course, his demise. And so um, when we speak of Babylon, we're not talking about literal Babylon. Let me give you an example. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 13, Peter is writing a letter to Rome, and he said, uh, actually, he's writing a letter from Rome, and he says, she who is in Babylon, elect together with you, greets you, and so does Mark, my son. So he was referring to Rome as Babylon, the Jews, in the same way they had been occupied by the Babylonians and oppressed. Now they were occupied by the Romans. Sort of a code word for them was to call the Roman power Babylon, and they all knew what that meant. So he said, um, she who is in Babylon greets you. And if you have any doubts, you can look in Revelation 17 when the angel is interpreting the vision of Revelation 17 for the Apostle John. He says, the woman that you saw, a woman is a church, is that great city that reigns over the kings of the earth. When John had his vision there in Revelation, he was a captive in Babylon. And um, it was pretty clear that it was uh, talking there about ancient Babylon, or rather talking there about now Rome. The city of Rome is the city that was ruling over the kings of the earth at this time. So um, you can also notice that in the beginning of, and you might wonder why does he do this, in the beginning of the Gospels, Matthew chapter 1, it says all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations, and from David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations, and from the captivity in Babylon until Christ are 14 generations. So it's kind of interesting that uh, Babylon is identified a couple of different times as, um, as that source. Now, I knew this might happen. I, I, I told uh, Brother Rodney I'd probably become uh, mesmerized by the sound of my own voice, and we want to give you an opportunity for another poll question. And um, so when we're talking about Babylon, now we're really talking about Christians who believe in God, but they have not, they're not part of the remnant church. And uh, I'm going to elaborate on that a little bit more. Um, do you think it's important that Christians from other faiths, here's the poll question, do you think it's important that Christians from other faiths learn about and join the Seventh-day Adventist church? And then we've got, you know, yes or no, and your might, answer might be somewhat. So I'm going to let Rodney, uh, I don't know how he tallies the uh, information for those. So I'll let him do that. No problem. We're going to give our audience a little bit of time uh, just to navigate to the correct place over there. Make sure you're on the poll section, uh, not the chat section. We do appreciate the chats that are coming in and keep those coming. We'll maybe have a time for Q&A at the end. But uh, we'll just leave this poll open a few more moments, and then I'll close it here and let you know, Pastor Doug, what uh, people are saying. All right, I'm closing it now, and we're going to see what people say. Tabulation is coming. The majority of those who answered the poll said yes. They believe it is important that... Uh, other faiths learn about and join the Adventist church, the majority, uh, three times more. Who's, and the next one was somewhat, and only one person said no. So 
Well, see, that's that's very important because we we established in the first poll question that we believe the majority of Christ's true followers are in the fellowship of other churches. But uh, I think we agreed that part of the three angels' message is not to leave them that way, but it's important for them to learn and to come out. Now, you don't just come out of Babylon and hover. The idea is coming out of Babylon into the body of Christ or into the full fold, you might say. Um, and we're going to talk about that a little more in our second section that uh, is going to be dealing with this. Um, so when we talk about Babylon now, we're, what we're talking about is um, fallen Christendom. And if you read in Revelation 17, it tells us that uh, Babylon is fallen. Now, how is Babylon fallen? Um, well, there's a, a number of doctrines. It says that the, all the nations have been made drunk with the wine. You know, Jesus, he said that uh, you don't take old wine and put it in new wineskins or it begins to ferment the new wine skins. Or you don't put new wine in old wineskins. It begins to ferment and they expand and they burst. And Christ compared his gospel to the new wine, the fresh wine, the unfermented wine. The wine of Babylon is an intoxicating wine. And uh, just a little side note, Christians should not be using fermented wine for personal use or for the communion service because we're supposed to use unleavened bread and unfermented grape juice. Jesus said, I will not drink that wine until I drink it with you new in the Father's kingdom. And so um, what is that gospel of Babylon? What are some of the areas where uh, you would know that you're in Babylon? How do you identify that? Um, you notice when Daniel was in Babylon, it's interesting, this great prophetic, prophetic book of Daniel. He's in Babylon, and the first chapter is dedicated to Daniel refusing to eat and drink the Babylonian food. He said, I'm just going to eat and drink water and Paul's simple vegetables. He didn't want the king's Babylonian food. I think there's a spiritual meaning there as well. Um, for example, if you're in a church, and I want to read something to you first from 1 Timothy 4.1. Now the Spirit speaks expressly that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. The devil has introduced a number of diabolical doctrines uh, into Christianity. You can read in uh, the book of Daniel chapter 8, where it talks about uh, this beast power that would cast down the truth to the ground and practice and prosper. And then Daniel wants to know, how long, O Lord, till the end of these things? The angel says, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Well, if you're a good Adventist, you know that in studying this prophecy, that 2,300-year uh, prophecy goes from 457 to 1844. In 1844, Christ began a special work of cleansing the sanctuary in the presence of the Father in heaven from the sins that had been spiritually or symbolically stored there over the ages um, prior to his return. But not only was there a cleansing that was happening in heaven, 1844, God began a movement. Now think about this. Not only does God have a temple in heaven, he still has a temple on earth. This is what Jesus taught. Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. And he spoke of the temple of his body. The church is called the body of Christ. Peter says that we are living stones built up to a 
spiritual foundation. Christ is a cornerstone to make a household for God. And Paul says the same thing in Ephesians. He says that we are precious stones. We are living stones. We're a royal priesthood. Of course, that's Peter says that. And so all through the Bible, Paul says, what don't you know that ye are the temple of God? So God has a temple on earth. In 1844, not only did Jesus begin doing something unique and special in heaven, but we can see what he began doing here on earth because before that year, 1844 had expired, God raised up a movement that he was cleansing from the doctrines of Babylon where the truth had been cast to the ground. You know, Daniel said, how long till these things? The sanctuary being cleansed was being also cleansed from the counterfeit teachings, from the wine of Babylon. And so what are some of those teachings? Let me just give you an example. There are a lot of good people that are out there mixed up in some churches that teach that uh, Sunday's sacred. Where in the Bible does it say Sunday is sacred? Nowhere. It's wonderful that Jesus rose on the first day of the week, but it's also wonderful that he had the Last Supper on Thursday and that he was crucified on Friday. So nowhere were they replacing the Sabbath, and nowhere does God command us to rest on those days. So that's one of the teachings of Babylon. came right out of Rome from sun worship. The confusion of tongues. How did you identify ancient Babylon? They could not understand one another's speech. Their languages were confounded. Well, you know, before I was a uh, Seventh-day Adventist Christian, I worshiped in Pentecostal and Charismatic churches, and all of my friends spoke in tongues. And I wondered what was wrong with me because I couldn't see it in the Bible and I never had this gift of tongues, but I studied and I just didn't see it there. Well, this is a fairly recent teaching that maybe the last 150 years, the uh, teaching about tongues or the misunderstanding of tongues in glossolalia has swept through the Christian church. It's not just Pentecostals now, but in a lot of mainline churches and evangelical churches, they misunderstand the gift of tongues, and there's a lot of babbling that goes on in Babylon. The idea of eternal torment, and this is a doctrine of devils if ever there was one. So many people, good thinking people, have been driven from God by the idea that uh, a person would be plunged into eternally burning fire and brimstone for the sins of one very brief lifetime. That here you could uh, theoretically have some teenager, yes, they've reached the age of accountability, but they get discouraged and they take their own life. But since they die lost and the last act of their life is suicide, now they're going to go to a lake of fire and they're going to burn there. And a billion years go by. Think about that. Burning, constantly burning, no relief, never going to have any relief, just constantly feeling burning for billions and billions of years and you never reach the end of it. That's a horrific doctrine. That's a doctrine of devils. If you're in a church that teaches that, you're in Babylon. And God wants us to come out of Babylon. The whole idea that you could be in a church that prays to idols. Now, this is one of the things new in the Old Testament, very clear. My little children, keep yourselves from idols. And yes, there are things we can make idols out of our car and our job and all kinds of things. But plain old-fashioned idolatry is still alive and well, where people pray to little statues of Buddha and Mary and whatever it might be. And uh, it lowers our concept of God. It is forbidden. This idea of uh, prosperity preaching, that the purpose of the gospel is so that everybody could be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Well, I do believe in the health message, and I do God, believe that God prospers those who tithe. But, uh, you know, Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. 
And there's a lot of false teachings that are out there in connection with this prosperity gospel or the idea that now that we're saved, we're under grace, we don't need to keep the Ten Commandments, that God doesn't save us from sin. He sort of saves us in sin and Christians just try to sin a little less than other people. But the gospel is you are a new creature. If you're in a church that's teaching you don't need to keep the Ten Commandments, that when the Bible says you're not under the law, that means you're free to disobey. Uh, that's Babylon. And then they've got all these different counterfeit methods of baptism uh, that you could be poured on or rose petals or salt or sprinkled and that you just call that baptism. That's a corruption of the original teaching. The doctrine of once you're saved, you can't be lost. The idea that when you die, that you go right to heaven or hell before a resurrection or a judgment and that the dead are conscious and they can be talked to and communicated with, that's forbidden in the Bible. The idea that God has destroyed the distinction between men and women, and men can marry men, and women can marry women, and a man can marry 13 wives, that's a corruption of God's original plan. You're in Babylon. The idea you don't really need to care about your body because it doesn't matter what you eat or what you drink, as long as you're spiritual, you can destroy your body with bad health practices. The Bible says that whoever defiles the temple of God, him will God destroy, and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And of course, salvation by works, which is also a kind of a champion teaching of Babylon that you can somehow work your way to heaven. So this would be some of the high points to specifically identify what are some of the doctrines of Babylon. So a person might know, am I in Babylon? How do I know? If you're in a church that's teaching these, these things, God says, come out of her, my people. Now, God has his people in these churches. Let me read you a few excerpts from the spirit of prophecy that reinforce what we've been saying. Of course, Christ says in John chapter 10, other sheep I have that are not of this fold, them also I must bring. They, they will hear my voice and there will be one fold and one shepherd. So while there are many different Christians that are scattered through different churches, he says, they're going to hear my voice. How? Speaking through his word, speaking through the second angel's message, that loud message that's going to be bouncing off satellites. That's kind of what 3ABN does. They're, they're sending the message off of the satellites and uh, hearing the gospel all around the world and uh, helping call people out of Babylon by proclaiming the truth from his word. Uh, here's a quote from the SDA Bible commentary. And this is page 1184. God has jewels in all of the churches, and it's not for us to make sweeping denunciations of the professed religious world. You know, we think, oh, Lord, we're the only ones left, the remnant church. And God says, I've got a lot of knees out there. 7,000 knees, he tells Elijah, that have not bowed to Baal. They're still being faithful as much as they can. Uh, here's another quote. And it says, the Lord has his representatives in all churches. These persons have not had the special testing truths for these last days presented to them under circumstances that have brought conviction, conviction to the heart and mind. Therefore, they have, not by, they have not, by rejecting the light, severed their connection with God. You know, you have people like John Wesley and Adam Clark and Martin Luther and Charles Spurgeon. And there are some great spirit-filled Christian leaders that maybe did not know the truth on hell or the state of the dead or the health message or the Sabbath truth. And you can be sure you're going to see them in heaven. 
because they walked in all the light they had. Keep in mind, Jesus said, if you did not see, you would have no sin. But since you say you see, your sin remains. Um, we're accountable for walking in the light that we know, for what we understand. Um, here's something, and that was, I think, from Testimonies for the Church, and that was uh, uh, page 670 and 71. Uh, here's another one, and this is uh, from the Testimonies also. Among the Catholics, there are many who are most conscientious Christians who walk in all the light that shines upon them. God will work in their behalf. And that was uh, Testimonies 9, 243. And here you can read from the book, The Great Controversy, page uh, 383. In the 18th chapter of Revelation, the people of God are called upon to come out of Babylon. According to the scripture, many of God's people must still be in Babylon. In what religious bodies are the greater part of the followers of Christ now to be found? Without a doubt in the various churches professing the Protestant faith. The greatest part, here's one more, um, and this is page 390, Great Controversy. Notwithstanding the spiritual darkness and alienation from God that exists in the churches which constitute Babylon, the great body of Christ's true followers are still to be found in their communion. You know, I get excited about this, friends, because with everything that's, that's happening in the world today, and, you know, even during this time of the pandemic that's compounded by social unrest, that's compounded by the gyrations in the economy, I'm meeting Christians from other faiths all the time who are saying, you know, we're not getting answers in our church. And they are looking around and they are going to God's word and they are finding new truths. Quick story. I can't tell you the name, but I'll tell you what happened. Uh, got a letter. Oh, I guess it's been a little more than a month now month ago and uh, it was from a gentleman and he is a baptist pastor in um, the south and he said brother doug i used to catch your programs sunday morning i uh, really enjoyed watching often before went to church because we were on early in their time zone and he said during the pandemic we looked you up and my wife and i began to binge watch amazing facts and he said, it's created a lot of problems for us because we have a church with 600 members and I am now convinced about the Sabbath and the state of the dead and hell. And he said, for several generations, we have been hardcore Baptists. And he said, not sure exactly how we're going to break this news to everybody we love, but we believe it's the Bible truth. And uh, there's all kinds of people out there that are his children that are looking for truth. And this is the, one of the greatest opportunities that we've had in the history of our movement. That's why Seventh-day Adventist Church needs, desperately needs a revival right now, because I think God is preparing to bring in all of these children. He says, my people come out of Babylon. They're scattered through all these different churches. They're going to hear his voice, and they're going to respond to that. So um, he says, come out over my people. And then after he calls them out, because then following that, a great judgment comes on Babylon. You read the beginning of Revelation 18. It says, come out of her that you do not receive. Read Revelation 18, 21. Angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, thus with violence, the great city Babylon will be thrown down and not found anymore. 
That means we're living very close to the end. This is the time that the message should be going out first, second, and third angel's message in special sense in the near future. But we should be uh, letting people know Babylon has fallen, come out of her, my people. So, um, yeah, let me, I want to read another quote to you. And this also is from the book, um, from the book Great Controversy, page 603. God has given messages of Revelation 14 their place in the line of prophecy, and their work is not to cease till the close of this earth's history. So the, we can't say, well, the three angels' message were given back in the 1800s. Those messages are to build in power now as we near the end. Revelation 18 points to the time when, as a result of rejecting the threefold warning of Revelation 14, 6 through 12, the church will have fully reached the condition foretold by the second angel, and the people of God still in Babylon will be called upon to separate from her communion. This message is the last that will be ever given to the world. This is a great controversy, page 390. The scripture points forward to a time when the announcement of the fall of Babylon, as made by the second angel of Revelation 14, verse 8, is to be repeated with the additional mention of the corruptions that have been entering the various organizations that constitute Babylon. Since that message was first given in the summer of 1844, these announcements, uniting with the third angel's message, constitute the final warning to be given to the inhabitants of the earth. The sins of Babylon will be laid open. The fearful results of enforcing the observance, uh, observances of the church by civil authority and the inroads of spiritualism the stealthy but rapid progress of the papal power will all be unmasked. By these solemn warnings, the people will be stirred. Thousands upon thousands will listen who have never heard words like these. So friends, we've come to the kingdom for such a time as this to get the message out that uh, Babylon has fallen and we need to let people know that uh, we've got a limited time for people to respond. So I wonder if uh, Brother Rodney, if it, might be time for us to do another poll question. And so. do you have one there you want to pick? Yeah, I think uh, now would be a great time actually for us to do two questions. I'll open up two questions at one time here and you will see uh, the opportunity coming on your screen. We've got two questions live right now. The first one is, have you ever given a Bible study to a Christian from another faith? very practical question and the second one that's open right now live is are you sometimes frightened to witness to christians of other faiths so two questions open right now and we'll give you a little bit of time we want a lot of people to respond so we can have a good understanding of uh, your experience in giving bible studies and sharing your faith with that and Pastor Doug, I just want to say thank you so much already. Uh, this has been inspiring me personally to share as much as I possibly can with my friends who are not yet Seventh-day Adventists. Amen. All right, I'll, I'll wait and hear what the results are. Okay. Yeah, we're going to close the poll. We're closing one at a time here. So we've got the first one. Have you ever given a Bible study to a Christian from another faith? 16 people responded yes, and six people responded no. So we have a majority of those who responded to the poll uh, who have given a Bible study. 
So that's uh, that's good. We're going to close the other one. And we've got, all right, the results are in for that one. Are you sometimes frightened to witness to Christians of other faiths? 15 yes and 10 no. All right. All right. Well, they're, they're being honest. Yes. Now, let me just double check with you, Rodney. What time should I plan on wrapping up here? And, and um, 30. For, uh, yeah. yeah, you can take 30 more minutes. Okay, good. Well, this would probably be a good time to segue into the second aspect. So we've identified what Babylon is. Babylon constitutes a fallen Christendom. Now, this is the organization. God has his faithful people there. But um, the, the foundational teachings of those churches um, have drifted from the teaching of God's word. And it does matter what church we're a part of. We had a poll question on that. Because whatever church you're a part of that you support with your influence and your money, you are responsible for the teachings of that church. And so even though, you know, you may join a church and there's a lot of nice people there and they got a good choir and uh, they got a good children's program and the sermons are interesting. If the foundational teachings of that church are that, um, you know, they don't believe in biblical marriage or that they think you burn forever, ever in, in hell, you shouldn't be part of that church because you're endorsing and supporting a lie when you do that. That's why it's important for us to encourage people to be part of the remnant church. Keep in mind, in the last days, when we call people out of Babylon, we're calling them into the remnant church. I did not join the Seventh-day Adventist church because uh, I felt I just wanted to be part of the denomination. I really had no choice. I wanted to be part of a movement. In the last days, there's only going to be two groups. One group is going to have the mark of the beast. One group is going to have the seal of God. That means there's going to be a shaking because God has his children in Babylon now, and there's going to be a shaking in the world. There'll be a shaking in the church, God's church. There's going to be a shaking in Babylon. And I think you're going to see a little transfer taking place. This is what happened during the time of Christ. The people of Israel were shaken by the message. Many were baptized. Remember when Jesus first sent the disciples out preaching, he said, go first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Many of them came to believe. All the early converts to Christianity were Jews to begin with. And then gradually, as time went by, uh, more and more were coming from the Roman religions into Christianity. So it caused a shaking, that message, that's going to happen. And many of the Jews denounced Jesus. They kind of were shaken out. They rejected the message of Christ and Christianity. And so we may see that happen again also, where there'll even be some people who have been in our church for generations, but they've just become comfortable with the world. They're not transformed by the power of the gospel, and uh, they're going to reject the outpouring of God's spirit in the last days. I think we've read somewhere that maybe not one in 20 is going to be prepared for the things that are coming upon us soon. So, um, let me just now kind of set the table by, I'm going to be talking about these other sheep that Jesus identifies, other sheep I have that are not of this fold. One of the hardest things for the disciples and the Jews to accept, and keep in mind, I'm, I'm coming from growing up with a Jewish mother, so I hope I can be objective in, uh, in sharing this, is that, um, that Gentiles were just as important to God as the Jews were. Yes, they did struggle a little bit with some discrimination. You remember Peter, God had to give him a vision 
there in Acts chapter 10 to say, do not call unclean the Gentiles whom I have cleansed. And gradually the apostles began to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Uh, Paul nearly got killed, torn from limb to limb. He was accused of bringing a Gentile into the temple. And um, so Jesus, he nearly got stoned. He nearly got thrown off the cliff there in Nazareth. When his first sermon in his home church, he said, there were many lepers, lepers in the land in the days of Elisha, but none of them was cleansed except Nahum and the Syrian. The non-Jew was the one cleansed. And he said there were many widows in the land of Israel in the days of Elijah. But Elijah wasn't sent to any of them but a Canaanite woman, a Syrophoenician up in the north. And they were so upset that Jesus was saying that God loves the Gentiles also. They took him out and nearly killed him. Try, or they're going to throw him off a cliff and he slipped through their fingers. Um, even John the Baptist said, think not to say to yourselves, we're going to be saved because we are children of Abraham. God is able to raise up unto Abraham uh, children from these stones. And so it's a tragic mistake that people say when they say, I am on the books of a church and that my parents and grandparents, I'm a third or fourth or fifth generation, Seventh-day Adventist, and somehow there's some, it's nice to have history and ancestry and heritage, but we're not saved by that. It's we must be walking with Christ and in the truth to be saved. Uh, the prophecies about Jesus were prophecies that he had a message to go to the non-Jews. Notice Isaiah 11, verse 10. And in that day, there will be a root of Jesse who will stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles will seek him and his resting place will be glorious. Remember, Andrew brought some Jews that said, uh, the Greeks said we would see Jesus also. Isaiah 42, verse 1, prophecy about the Messiah. Behold my servant whom I uphold, mine elect one, and whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the Gentiles. So this message is to go to everybody. Now, for Seventh-day Adventists, we kind of think of ourselves sometimes, and rightly so, as a modern equivalent of Israel. Ancient Israel with all of their problems, were a chosen movement of God, and God had committed to them the oracles of truth. They had special truth through the writings of Moses and the prophets that uh, were messages from God. The Seventh-day Adventist Church is a special last-day movement that has been given, uh, I think, spiritual guidance in the same way. But it doesn't mean that all of the ancient Israelites were saved just by virtue of being Jews. They had a a lot of backsliding that went on in their history, but they were still his people. You remember when the Samaritan woman came to Jesus and uh, she said, should we worship on Mount Gerizim or should we worship in Jerusalem? And Jesus kind of stuns us when he said, salvation is of the Jews. Paul says, unto the Jews was committed the oracles of God. So Seventh-day Adventists might think of ourselves as modern Israelites, and then we kind of look upon the uh, uh, the Christians in other churches as the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, when the disciples first went out preaching, they didn't go to the Gentiles right away. Jesus told them, do not go into the way of, and this is Matthew 10, verse 5 and 6, not yet. He said, go first. There's a priority here, and that's why it's important for us to understand this message to Babylon. Here's the priority. 
Jesus said, do not go in the way of Gentiles, Matthew 10, 6, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. In Acts 1, 7, Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, that was Jewish first, and Judea, that was Jewish. Then Samaria, that was quasi-Jewish. They kind of knew, they believed the five books of Moses. Then the ends of the earth. So there's a sequence here. Now, this is really important that uh, you understand this. If you come to a terrorist scene at a hospital and uh, a bomb goes off and there's a lot of terribly uh, injured people and uh, a lot of doctors and nurses are trapped inside the hospital because the doors have been blocked. Now, you've got to decide, how do I spend my time and my energy to triage these people? The first thing that I do, if I saw all these injured people outside the hospital, but I see the doctors and nurses with all the equipment are locked, they're just blocked. If I could clear the way and open the door for the doctors and nurses to come out, they can help me then triage all these people instead of me one by one trying to use my limited knowledge to go to the injured people and help them while the doctors and nurses look on through the windows. Let them out. They will then help you triage all the people that are injured. I'm saying this because in the priority of spreading the gospel, God was very wise. He said, salvation is to everybody, to the Jew first, then the Gentile. As Paul and the apostles went from town to town, they went to the Jews first. Why? It was a very short study to explain to a Jew who Jesus was. They all knew the Messiah was coming. It was a lot easier to convert a Jew to Christ than to convert a, 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 a pagan who knew nothing about the scriptures and nothing about the Messiah. They were wrapped up in idolatry. That takes a lot more Bible studies. At Pentecost, when all those people were baptized, they did not need to give them a Bible study on eating pork. They did not need to give them a Bible study on the importance of the scriptures or the Ten Commandments. They all knew that. It was a lot quicker, quicker to reach them. That's why God was so brilliant in pouring out the Holy Spirit during Pentecost when devout Jews, not any kind of Jews, devout Jews from every nation under heaven, they descended on Jerusalem for the feast of Pentecost. They are then filled with the Holy Spirit. They're given a crash course in who Jesus is. Then they help the apostles spread the gospel throughout the Roman Empire as they go home. So that was a brilliant way to do it. So when they first went out preaching, as Paul and the disciples went from town to town, first place they would go, is they would go to the synagogues because in the synagogues, they would find the Jews. And when they'd reach them, they would then help them to reach their communities. You see, the Jews were scattered all over the Roman Empire. And uh, God told the apostles, you know, as you enter into a new town, first thing you ought to do, go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, to the Jew first, then to the Gentile, because if you reach them, they then can stick around and help reach their communities. It's just such a smarter plan. Um, sometimes they'd go to a synagogue. Let me see here. You go to Acts 13, verse 46. Then Paul and Barnabas, they grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it and you judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. They said, first we'll come to you. But if that town, if the Jews rejected it, they said, we're going directly to the Gentiles. 
And sometimes the whole city would come together, Jew and Gentile, in the synagogues on the Sabbath to hear the word of God. Sometimes the Jews rejected it. The disciples would just preach to the Gentiles, as Paul did on Mars Hill. Acts 18, verse 6. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, he shook his garment, just like Jesus said, shake the dust off your feet. He shook his garment and said, your blood be upon you and your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I am turning to the Gentiles. He meant there in that community. Now, God does not intend for Christians, when we know the truth, to just kind of, you know, huddle around and argue about the Bible. He wants us to go out and to share it. And, um, you know, if we just spend all our time kind of, as they say, you know, evaluating our own belly button as a church, we're not going to reach the lost. We, we've got to get out in the community. The parable that Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus, and I think most of us know this from Luke chapter 16, a rich man clothed in purple feasts sumptuously every day with his friends. And there's a poor beggar named Lazarus that lays at his gate desiring the crumbs that fall from his table. And you know the story. They, they both die. The beggar, he's carried to Abraham's bosom. That's where every Jew thought he'd go. He wanted to be in the kingdom with Abraham. And the rich man, he goes to the Jewish, he goes to the Gentile place of torment, which is Hades. And Jesus is using a tremendous paradox in this story. It's a parable. And, uh, the reason that's there is not to teach us about the state of the dead. That parable has nothing to do with the state of the dead. That parable is a warning to the Jewish nation and to Christians today that he doesn't want us to sit in our churches, within our gates, feasting on the word of God, while all of the Gentiles are out there desiring the crumbs that fall from our table. And we will be judged if we don't care about feeding the bread of life to those that are starving for it. He doesn't want us to just keep it to ourselves. He wants us to share it. With who? Well, start with the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You know, I remember I woke up one uh, Sunday morning. This is many years ago. I was pastoring uh, a little Adventist church in a small town. And I just, I, I, I had this very strange impression that I was supposed to go to the local Pentecostal church, a place called Faith Tabernacle. And, um, I thought, well, that's odd, you know, and I, at first I thought it, and then I thought, why am I thinking that? And I, it kept coming back to me, and then I thought, boy, is that the Holy Spirit? I don't want to disobey, and I'm not recommending everyone does this, but this is something that happened to me. So I woke up that morning, and um, I put on my shirt and tie, and I, I went to the local Pentecostal church, and as I was driving over there, I got another impression that I was supposed to preach. I thought, Doug, you're hallucinating. First, you think you're supposed to go visit this church. It's got some very interesting services. And then you think you're supposed to preach there. Who do you think you are? You're just going to walk and say, I'm here preaching today. And I, I was trying to think, why is this happening to me? But I, I listened and I went to the church. And when I got there, I got there a little late because I was fighting against the impression. They had already gone through their announcements and offering and preliminaries. And now they're in the part of the worship service where they're praying and the music reaches a crescendo. I've been to a lot of Pentecostal churches and some people are kneeling, some are standing with their hands outspread, some are sitting and they're, they're speaking in tongues and the, the piano's going and the bass is going. It gets a little loud and tumultuous. And, and I slipped in the back and I kind of just uh, sat down and, and I'm thinking, what am I doing here? 
and uh, finally, after the, the praying kind of reaches a crescendo, it starts to die down. People sit down and they know the cue. The music settles down. Pastor steps up as if he's going to begin his sermon. And he looks back and he sees me. Now, this is not a very big town. He knows who I am. Um, we met each other at ministerial councils before. He sees me and he goes, Brother Doug, it's good to see you here with us today. Do you have a word for the Lord? Well, sometimes in these churches, they do testimonies and people get up and they give testimonies. And I thought, well, I'd not a, I better not. And uh, I said, well, you know, pastor, us, us preachers, I said, it's hard for us to just say a word. And he said, well, why did you come up and preach to us today? I'm telling you, friends, this is exactly what happened. And I, I, I was kind of shocked that this is, I, I don't know that I've ever felt so led by the Lord in a miraculous way, like I heard the voice of God. I never heard anything audible, but the impression was so real. And then I saw the fulfillment of it. And I, I said, you mean it? He said, come on up, preach. Now, how often does an Adventist pastor go to a Pentecostal church? You walk in, you sit in the back, and they invite you to preach that day. And I made my way to the front. You know, if you're, if you're a an evangelist worth your salt. You've got some sermons at your fingertips, you know, by heart. And so that day, no, I did not preach on the mark of the beast. I felt impressed to talk about Mary Magdalene. And the short version of the story is then I made an altar call and people came forward. Some came forward speaking in tongues. And, uh, and the next week at our local church, one of the ladies who was in that church that day showed up. She said, I was so touched by the sermon as a Hispanic lady. She said, I was so touched by the sermon. She said, I thought I'd come and hear you at your church. She later got baptized and last I heard was still a member. And so uh, that told me that God has these people in these churches and he wants them to hear the voice. After the service that day, the pastor came in. He says, Brother Doug, you're showing up today with such an answer to prayer. He says, I'm having heart problems and I didn't sleep last night. And I was so tired and to get up and to have to preach when I saw you walk and sit in the back and you offered to preach, he said, that was an answer to my prayers. So God heard his prayers. Yes, God hears the prayers of some of these people who are in other churches. They're his children. The greatest part of Christ's true followers are in the fellowship of these other churches. So what's going to happen before Jesus comes? They're going to hear his voice. They're going to hear his voice through you. They're going to hear his voice through me, through the media, through the publishing through the online Bible studies. And that's why we've got to get the three angels message out there. They're going to hear his voice and they're going to come out. They're going to come out of Babylon. They're going to come into the body of Christ, into the remnant church, and there will be one fold and one shepherd. When Jesus comes back, not going to have 15 different, 100 different Christian denominations. You're going to have the mark of the beast. All will either worship the mark of the beast or they will have the seal of God. So, um, as I mentioned before, notwithstanding the spiritual darkness and alienation from God that exists in some of the churches that constitute Babylon, the great body of his true followers are still found in their communion. Indeed, uh, you know, as I travel around, um, I meet people all the time. I typically once a year, I go to a, uh, a convention that's called NRB. I've been part of that for oh, 30 years now. It's a... Um, national religious broadcasters and um, basically it's christians from all different denominations uh, mostly protestant that work together 
to preserve the freedom to broadcast on the airwaves because the airwaves are owned by the FCC. And it's only because of certain laws that protect our freedoms that religious organizations can own these stations to share the gospel. And we want to preserve that. There have been efforts before to stop that. So I, I go to NRB and invariably there, I meet, um, I meet a lot of Christians from, you know, there's very few Adventists that are there. A number of the um, media ministries have been there before, so they know what I'm talking about. A lot of Christian leaders, um, they come up to me privately and they say, Brother Doug, we watch your programs. And I've had them say, I, I know they wouldn't appreciate my sharing their names, but I've had them say, you've convinced me about hell. I believe it just like you. Another one who is a, a Sunday school teacher in a prominent church said, uh, you've caused all kinds of problems in our family. My wife and I have accepted Sabbath and our daughter. We're trying to share it with our church. Our church doesn't like us very much anymore. And he said, but we've accepted the Sabbath. I had another one come up to me and he kind of quietly gave me an elbow, almost like nobody's supposed to know. He said, you know, I accepted what you said about the clean and the unclean foods. He says, these Christians, and he's pointing to the other charismatics and Pentecostals and, and evangelicals that are at the uh, NRB meeting. He said, they're killing themselves with their diets. They think it doesn't matter what they eat and they're killing themselves. And uh, he said, I'm a vegetarian now. And um, I've just had all kinds of people come up and they say, we're watching. So there's, there's almost like, there's like a hidden army of faithful people that are still in the fellowship of these churches and they're waiting to hear the loud voice and to see the bright light from that second angel that's gonna be calling them out of Babylon. See, God wants his people in one fold. And you can read in John 17, verse 20. Jesus said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one. You see, the devil heard Jesus when he said, all people will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And the devil figured, if everyone's going to know they're Christians by their love for one another, then I'll do all I can to divide them and to fraction the, the church. And so the devil's been doing everything he can. There is no religion in the world that is more divided than Christianity. Yes, there are several branches of Islam not near as many as Christianity. There are different branches of Buddhism and there are probably different sects and fractions of Confucianism but, uh, or Hinduism. But uh, Christians, oh man, we get the trophy for being the most divided religion in the world. There are thousands of different denominations. This was never God's will. In the last days, there's gonna be a shaking and the Adventist movement is the beginning of that. You see, the Adventist church is a, is, the, is a, uh, a movement that has brought Christians from many different churches that said, put aside our doctrinal differences. What does the Bible really teach? And there were Methodists and there were Baptists and there were Presbyterians and there were Christian, they called Christian church, Anglicans, all different churches, some Jews. And they said, wow, this is the Bible truth. And they were called out of Babylon. Well, our message is a continuation of what happened in the formation of the Adventist movement. We are to call people together for the return of Christ. And when Adventists stop getting excited about the Advent, we've got a problem. And to bring people together for the last days. 
Well, you know, I wonder if Brother Rodney, maybe we could drop in. If you have something locked and loaded, we can do another poll question at this time. I think that you have made a perfect segue into a question that would be, what hinders you from sharing your faith with others? So that's the question that has just gone live. What hinders you from sharing your faith with others? The answers are fear of rejection, not knowing what to say, apathy, or nothing. I love sharing my faith. So again, that poll question is open. Please, uh, if you're in the chat box, just to the uh, left or right, I can't remember which way, but there's a little button for the poll. So we're gonna leave it open for just another moment or two and let you answer that question. What hinders you from sharing your faith with others? I'm gonna close the poll and we're gonna see what the results are. All right. It's being tabulated, so we have got uh, not knowing what to say as number one on the results, uh, followed by nothing. I love sharing my faith. And the last one was fear of rejection. So not knowing what to say was actually number one. So maybe, Pastor Doug, you could uh, talk to us a little bit about that aspect. Yeah, I'll do my best. And, you know, I think that some people in a special sense are, um, they're a little concerned, you know, if, if you say I'm a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, it's uh, often misunderstood. Uh, some people get us confused. They think you say Seventh-day Adventist, and then you hear about a Latter-day Saint, and they think, oh, you're the, you guys believe in multiple wives, or you're the ones that, uh, you're Mormons, or I've had people say, oh, Seventh-day Adventists, you guys don't believe in blood transfusions and you don't celebrate Christmas or birthdays. And I go, no. Or they say, oh, Seventh-day Adventists, you guys are a cult. And so I think sometimes people are intimidated. I, I've felt it before um, about sharing our faith. You know, I think one of the best things you can do now, I don't know how to do this without sounding like I'm making a shameless plug for amazing facts, but I take sharing literature, and it may not be amazing facts. It could be a variety of ministries, but I'll take some of our magazines, and I'll have them available. And you can have uh, some of these quick fact tracks that uh, talk about different subjects. When you begin a conversation with somebody uh, down the street here from our office, um, I, I go and I get a Subway sandwich. And... Uh, Lately, it's been slow there because of the pandemic. So I've developed a friendship. I'm on a first name basis with a couple of guys that serve there. They know I'm a pastor. Uh, I know they are from the Baha'i faith. And I, I know something about that. So I'd say for one thing, become acquainted with what some of the other uh, churches teach. I think Pastor Mark Finley has an excellent book that's still available about, you know, how do you share your faith with other religions and what are their foundational teachings so know a little bit about it and um, you might highlight some things you have in common well when i go see my friends down there i i give uh, a track to them i've actually shared a testimony book so sharing your personal testimony is one of the most important things that you can do there's an old um adage in evangelism training it's called fort f-o-r-t and that means uh, you can ask about family, O, occupation, R, religion, T, testimony. 
in beginning a conversation, just say, you know what, you talk about your family. People, if they've got a family, you can say, do you, I'm on an airplane, I'm talking to someone. I say, you going to see family? And they say, oh, no, I'm going home. I say, oh, what do you do? Occupation. Oh, I do this. You try and relate, find out, seem interested in what they have to say. And then uh, sometimes they'll say, well, what do you do? I say, well, I'm a pastor. That immediately brings up the subject of religion. So transitioning in from the family occupation to the religious subject, there's a lot of questions you can ask that uh, you talk about that. You might say, so are you a Christian? You know, if you're in the Bible Belt, you don't have to worry about asking that question. If you're in San Francisco, uh, they may uh, throw you in the ocean. I don't know what they'll do, but it, it varies from place to place. But if you can get into the subject of religion and, you know, if you're praying when you talk to people, they'll often leave the door open that makes it easier for you to do that. And then you share your personal testimony and say, you know, I've got something that's really touched me. It's a great little resource. Can I share this with you? You don't want to necessarily give them something the first time with 600 pages. Now, you may know some people that are good readers, but I found if you can first if you're going to see them again, if they're a neighbor, you know where they work, start out by giving them something really good, but small. You might give them a DVD. You know, Amazing Facts just produced something called Kingdoms in Time that just proves the Bible's true. Because we thought if a person can come to believe the Bible's true, then if you offer them a Bible study, they're ready to go to the next step. So if you're only going to see a person one time, you know, you're traveling, you may never see them again, you might give them a track on salvation. Um, if you're talking to Christians from other faiths, there are certain doctrines I think really help. For me, I found one of the easiest things to do is to study with a person and uh, share the subject. You know, if you, they're Christians from other faiths, they might say, well, I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. What do they believe? I'll say, well, one thing that's different is while we believe that there's punishment of the wicked, we do not believe that the fires of hell burn forever and ever. And I give them a few thoughts on that. And, you know, I find Christians from almost every denomination are actually happy to talk about that because privately, very few people want to believe that because it just it uh, back it, it clashes with our whole image of God as a God of love. And so, you know, you might actually get into a particular subject. You can have a tract on that. Um, they're you know, giving out books like the Steps to Christ. And there are several versions of that is another excellent way that you can share your faith. Now, don't be afraid to jump in, Brother Rodney. Let me know when I've got four or five minutes left because uh, I want to make sure I don't go over and I give you time to close off this aspect of the seminar. So something else that, uh, and I, we may even have a poll question on this, I don't remember, but um, sometimes people are apprehensive about sharing their faith with other Christians because they are accused of sheep stealing. So if you are studying with a Christian from another church and you're wanting them to accept the three angels message, pastors and others will say, why are you going after Christians? Why not go after the pagans, the lost in our society? These people are already saved. They already know Jesus. In fact, this is something that the Catholic Church is saying quite a bit. Uh, in South America, I believe the charismatic church is, in Brazil anyway, is just outpaced the Catholic Church. It used to be entirely Catholic or 98% Catholic. So the Catholic Church continues to telegraph the message, let us not be evangelizing 
Christians of other faiths. They see that they're they're losing their people in droves. And you're going to find, you know, it doesn't matter whether it's a Baptist or evangelical pastor, if you're giving studies to members of another church, you will be accused of sheep stealing. My response to that is, well, uh, they're not my sheep and they're not your sheep. They're Jesus' sheep and the sheep go where the grass is. And I say that we need to go by the word. We have a responsibility to study the word. And, you know, if, if I meet someone and they say they're a Christian and we might disagree on uh, the 144,000 or the seven trumpets, that's not as critical. But when someone says I'm a Christian and they're breaking one of God's commandments and thinking that the church allows it, well, sin is a transgression of a law. That's dangerous when we don't let people know that this is a real problem, that living in open, high-handed defiance of God's Ten Commandments is a sin. And uh, a person's eternal destiny could be jeopardized by that. Don't feel like you need to apologize when you say, I'm going to share with this Christian. They say they love Jesus. They say they believe the Bible. Then why are they neglecting one of the Ten Commandments? And um, we, we don't need to be afraid or ashamed to do that. Will there be persecution if we do it? Yeah. And you know what? If, if uh, you knock on doors, you'll have some doors shut in your face. Jesus said there'll be cities where you'll have to just shake the dust off your feet. They're not going to listen. He said, don't be discouraged. Go to the next town. Christ said, I'll teach you how to fish for men. Any good fisherman knows you can't get discouraged if you drop your hook in the water and you come up and the bait is gone. You just got to put some more bait on it and drop it in again. You got to throw out the net again. You've got to keep going and eventually you get that trophy fish. You get that net that is full of fish. So one of the most important things is do not be discouraged. There is no joy that is greater than the joy of leading a soul to Christ. And I would say to our friends that are listening, connected with ASI, not everybody's an evangelist. You need to use your respective gifts. Uh, almost everybody can give away some literature. You can link to Christian websites. You can give people cards that'll say, have you seen this website on the Sabbath or something? Have you seen this television program? You ought to look it up. They've got some great Christian programming. Uh, offer them Christian literature uh, and prayer. Everybody, if you're a Christian, you can pray. Praying, interceding for the lost is something the apostles did. It's something that Jesus did um, and all through the Bible. So continue to press on and uh, intercede and pray for these people. Um, and keep in mind, uh, when Jesus did that parable about the wedding feast, he said, there's plenty of room in the wedding feast. Some of the people who claimed they said that they loved the king, but when they were invited, they said, well, we're just too busy. You know, I, I bought a cow and I married a wife and I can't come. But uh, the king said, well, go out into the um, highways and find other people to come in. And the disciples came back and they said, there's still room. The master said, go into the hedges and the highways and compel them to come in that my house might be filled. Now that word compel. You know, we need balances. We're witnessing to Christian from other faiths. You don't want to be obnoxious and drive people away. But it's important that they sense there's some urgency. And um, yeah, some people may misunderstand this, but, you know, some people, they'll appreciate it. There's a lot of people out there that are looking. You know what Christ said? 
He said, the harvest is great, the labors are few. There's not a problem that there's not enough fish in the sea. There's not a problem that there's not enough lost sinners out there that need to hear the gospel. The problem is the labors are few. God has his people in all these different churches. They're his sheep. They, uh, they love the Lord. They're praying to Jesus every day. They, they take every Sunday. They go to church to worship God. They give their offerings. They believe the Bible is true. They just are they're, uh, listening to teachers that maybe don't understand. Some are wolves in sheep's clothing. But God is going to reach them. And I think he wants to reach them through us. So don't be ashamed and don't be bashful about sharing your faith with him. And God will honor you for doing that. Um, in, in Matthew 18, Christ, or Matthew 8, rather, verse 11, Christ says, many are going to come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom. But the children of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness. And so, you know, we might see in the last days, there's going to be a shaking taking place, but we need to be calling these people in. A lot of dear people in these other churches, they're worried about what's happening in our society. They are troubled by the teachings of evolution in the schools. They're troubled by the pushing of uh, trying to normalize same-sex marriage and all the different variations uh, of gender that are coming in. They're bothered by uh, abortion and the pagan behavior in society and, and the drugs and the worldliness. And their hearts are yearning for a church that really teaches the whole Bible. Um, they want to hear the faith that was once delivered to the saints. So don't be afraid to reach out, talk to these people, give them literature, be a friend, show them that you're interested in their lives, pray with them through their personal problems. When you meet with them sometime, just say, is there something special you'd like me to pray about? They'll often open the door and really help you understand who they are and what they're wrestling with. And so I just like to say, God bless you. I don't, I don't know if uh, what's left on the clock, Rodney, but uh, I want to, I'd rather quit too soon than go too long. Well, I just want to thank you so much, Pastor Doug. This has been a very, very inspirational for me. You know, my wife and I, uh, we pray for some of the people that we know who are teaching some of the false doctrines. You know, there's a lot of false uh, teachings that go on, but we know that these could be uh, brothers and sisters sitting in the pew with us next time, or they could be Adventist uh, pastors, you know, if they're convinced of the truth. So I just really want to say thank you from ASI. We believe in evangelism. And we have one more poll question that I want to put up yeah. who are still with us. And uh, that question is an action question. And the question is this, after this seminar, how are you going to share the three angels' messages with others? Have you been so inspired by this that you are going to organize an evangelistic series? And, uh, you know, Amen. I guess uh, the statistics say that in the church, only 10% of the membership have the gift, the specific gift of evangelism. But uh, maybe that's you. And maybe God is wanting you to exercise that gift and do an evangelistic series. Uh, check that one. Uh, everyone can do a Bible study. I truly believe that one of the best things that we can do to grow our own experience and to share our faith is to do a Bible study with someone else. Mm -hmm. And so uh, check that one if you want to. Sharing literature. 
uh, as Pastor Doug mentioned, if you want to make a more fervent commitment to share that piece of literature with someone else, do that. Begin an online ministry. You know, this pandemic has opened the world of opportunity for everyone. We can all let our voice be known on our social media and YouTube is available and all these other things. Uh, visiting our neighbors, that's another one. And using my talents, like music, for example, uh, if you want to do that. Now, I don't think that our technology will allow you to choose all of them. I, I'm hoping that some of you will want to choose all of them, but choose whatever one the Holy Spirit is doing. And I'm going to close that poll. And uh, we're just going to say thank you very much for participating. And we're going to let the poll populate. And we, we had uh, the top one, Pastor Doug. What do you think it was? I don't think you can see the poll. No, I can't. I, I was going to say that um, share literature or pray. The top one was begin an online ministry. Oh, well, so, perfect. <laughs> we've got a lot of a lot of people interested in that. And then sharing literature was was the next one. So praise the Lord. We just want to thank all of you who uh, have joined us on this seminar. Uh, ASI has been different this year, virtual platform. But Pastor Doug, thank you for being part of our program. Uh, this has been very powerful. Uh, it's going to be recorded and archived. So please invite your friends to watch it as well. And uh, Pastor Doug, would you pray for us as we uh, wrap up? Or I should say, do you have any final remarks? And then would you pray for us? Yes, I, I just say that... Um... You know, I'd go along with what you were just mentioning. What are we going to do about it? You know, it's wonderful to be part of a seminar and uh, uh, to be touched and moved, but making a tangible decision and say, you know, Lord, right now, help me choose to do something. Guide me in, in what I can do and make a note, put it on your post-it note where you see it every day and say, share my faith. And just keep it before your mind that this is, you know, we're, we exist for two reasons. We come to Jesus. And then we go for Jesus. And so be praying about new ways you can use your gifts in sharing the three angels' messages. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you for the reminders in your word that we are living in the last days and that we do have a unique message that must go to the world and that people's eternal destinies rest upon hearing the good news and hearing the messages of warning. Lord, we, we pray that the Holy Spirit will speak to each one of us right now, to our hearts. If we're doing something successful, help us to know how to do more of it or better. If there are other ways that we can share our faith, maybe multiple ways, uh, I pray that we'll be aware of those things and make decisions. And most important, Lord, we need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you told your disciples not to go out until they receive power from on high. And so, Lord, we don't want to neglect the importance of daily uh, coming before you and receiving that power that we might be your witnesses. So bless everyone for that purpose, Lord. Continue to bless the presentations and the seminar as the Sabbath approaches and pour out your spirit. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was produced by Audioverse for ASI, Adventist Layman's Services and Industries. If you would like to learn more about ASI, please visit www.asiministries.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit 
www.audioverse.org.